welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest today is Giorgio Cafiero. Giorgio is the founder and CEO of Gulf State Analytics, based in Washington. He appears frequently on Al Jazeera, TRT World, and BBC Persian. In addition to writing for Gulf State Analytics, he's a regular contributor to several outlets, including the Middle East Institute, Inside Arabia, and Responsible Statecraft. Our conversation today is on French President Emmanuel Macron and his foreign policy initiatives in the Levant, North Africa, and the Sahel. Macron, in MENA. Giorgio, welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. Bill, thank you so much. I'm a big fan of your show, and it's a real honor to join you today. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Now look, Emmanuel Macron, in MENA, what are his broader aims? What does he hope to achieve? I think we need to see this within the context of American hegemony in the MENA region being on a relative decline. Within the context of Washington's influence going in this direction of a relative decline, there are power vacuums that various global and regional players have been filling. Macron is definitely trying to Um, assert France as a rising power in the region's geopolitical order. What France is ultimately trying to achieve, though, is uh, a a question that is is very complicated. I think at, at this point there are still more questions than answers about that. Regardless of what the end goals might be, no denying that France wants to flex some muscle in the MENA region and let everyone in the region and everyone know in the world that France is a power to contend with. Look, he was very quick on the scene at the Beirut Harbor explosion, a real photo op, a cynic might suggest, but in the tangled mess that is Lebanon, he was hailed as a savior. What do you make of that and also his subsequent threats of sanctions if the new government doesn't get its act together quickly? What do you think is going on there? There's a lot to take away from this situation. I think the extent to which many people in Lebanon were very welcoming of Macron says a lot about how much anger there is in this country with the political elites who have been at the helm ever since the Lebanese Civil War ended, and in fact even before uh, the end of the Civil War. Uh, There is just so much corruption, incompetence, negligence, mismanagement of the country. It makes sense that uh, Lebanese who have had enough with that are wanting to receive help uh, from outside. Uh, We saw last month, I believe, 60,000 citizens of Lebanon signed a petition asking for a return to the country's previous status, which was in all but name, a colony of France. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit complicated, though. You know, you got these 18 official sects in Lebanon, and it is mainly among the Christian communities in Lebanon where there is a view of, of, of France as sort of a, their protector, uh, viewing France as a protecting country. And so it was more so the case among Christians in Lebanon that there was a desire to um, move closer to France 
and to sort of invest in this historic relationship with the country that uh, began controlling Lebanon in the aftermath of the Ottoman Empire's demise. Um, how other communities in the country, especially Shia Muslims, including those who are supporters of Hezbollah, how they view France is a little bit more of a, a complex uh, question. But nonetheless, it, it's very understandable how there is a desire among certain segments of Lebanon to look to France as a very important partner. At the same time, though, this is not a balanced relationship when you look at France on one side and Lebanon on the other. And given the history, the symbolism of uh, Macron's, not only his first visit, but also his second visit after the blast, there are very good reasons for people to see this as sort of a neo-colonial project on Macron's part. And I don't think there can be any way to look at the situation without considering how France's geopolitical rivalry with Turkey is playing out in the eastern Mediterranean. This definitely has huge implications for Lebanon. There are a number of interests that France has in Lebanon, and I think countering the influence of Ankara is definitely one of them. Also, in the past 15 years or so, there has been a decline of French influence in Lebanon. Fewer Lebanese are learning French as a second language. And I think that this blast provided an opportunity for France to try to insert itself more confidently into Lebanon's um, political affairs and to try to reverse this trend of declining French influence. And it was sort of an opportunity for a soft power grab. Yes, uh, as you say, with those neo-colonial echoes built into it. Uh, let's look at, at Libya, because that's another area where France and Macron are, are playing the game. We can question how great the game is, but, but there is a game going on there as well. I just want to remind our listeners uh, that the government of National Accord, based in Tripoli and backed by Turkey, is, is as we speak in a standoff on the, at the coastal city of Sirt against the warlord Khalifa Haftar and his Libyan National Army. And uh, Mr. Macron has opted to back Haftar, joining the UAE, Egypt, and Russia. Do you think that's a miscalculation on his part? You know, that's a really good question. I think that. France supported Haftar with the aim of seeing to it that Libya, when the dust settles, would eventually be a country under Haftar's control and would consequently be a France-friendly North African country. As a consequence of Turkey's intensified military intervention, which began in late 2019 and continued into 2020, it does not appear as though that is a realistic outcome of the Libyan civil war and the Libyan National Army, which is the force that Haftar has been leading. Uh, this Libyan National Army, or LNA, has suffered major defeats. And at this point, I think France is going to have to make important decisions about how it wants to move forward in Libya. I do think it's important, though, to understand the relationship between France 
and Hoftar slash LNA. We need to understand that Libya itself, as a country alone, is not necessarily a top priority for France, is greater African foreign policy. It is the countries of the Sahel, which were former French colonies, Chad, Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, and so on. These countries are where France has its most vested interests in the African continent. Now, southern Libya, which is a part of the Sahel, is the link uh, between... Well, Libya itself, part of it being uh, in the Sahel, is the link between the Mediterranean and the Sahel countries. Throughout this part of Africa, where France has so many interests, there are many problems with terrorism. There are a whole host of extremely violent jihadist groups that France is concerned about. Now, when it came to the crisis of terrorism in Libya in the years that followed Gaddafi's fall, the French were very concerned about the situation in southern Libya and how the security crises there in the Fezzan could spill into the Sahel. The view from Paris was that Haftar's LNA was the most realistic bulwark against these extremist groups. And therefore, France's interests vis-a-vis -vis the Sahel prompted France to become the one European power that is very active in the Libyan crisis to be on the side of Haftar. Now, this created big problems for France's relationship with other NATO, its fellow NATO members, Turkey, as well as Italy. This has resulted in France being relatively isolated within NATO on the, on the Libya file. Now, we should also note that Greece is basically a supporter of Haftar too, Thus, we cannot say France is totally isolated, but Greece is more of a spectator when it comes to Libya. Again, France is the one uh, European Western power that's actively involved in Libya that is supporting Haftar. And I think this is where it's important to understand the partnership and the increasing amount of space in which there is an overlap of French and Emirati interests, and maybe we can get to that a little bit later in this discussion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's interesting, isn't it? But but Haftar, of course, as you mentioned, has suffered significant defeats. The LNA pushed back a long, long way. We've got a stalemate situation in Sirte. There are there are thoughts that perhaps now there can be some sort of negotiated settlement. Do you see uh, Macron? playing any kind of a role in that, uh, perhaps pushing for uh, a settlement between the uh, Tripoli regime and Haftar? My opinion is that there has to be some sort of a compromise between the Western Bloc, GNA on that side, and the power center in Tobruk, the House of Representatives. There simply cannot be an all-out military victory achieved by one side over the other. That being said, I don't believe that there can be a political settlement that involves Haftar. I think peace in Libya would require France and the other 
players, external players that have been supporting the Eastern side to put pressure on Hoftar to step down in order for other figures on the Eastern side to take the helm and come to the negotiating table. Given the war crimes that Hoftar is responsible for, I think there's just simply too much baggage for us to imagine him being a realistic, uh, for it to be realistic for Hoftar to be at the table and to negotiate in good faith with the Tripoli-based government. That being said, just because outside actors such as France, Russia, or the UAE have leverage over Haftar and the House of Representatives does not mean they have total control over the Eastern Bloc. And Haftar himself has many ambitions, and I don't think he's going to just simply step aside because he is asked to do so. So yes, I do think there can be a political settlement, but put simply, I think much of the problem really has to do with Haftar as an individual commander. Well, and as you suggest, if uh, if the solution is for him to step down, then perhaps that's uh, Macron uh, abandoning him, disavowing him in some way would be the first uh, stage in that process. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's very fair. Um, you know, again, as I was talking about earlier, France's main interests in Libya have to do not so much with Haftar as an individual, but more the LNA as an institution that France sees as a bulwark against the spillover of jihadist terrorism from Libya into the Sahel. So I, I definitely do think France would be open to working with another figure or figures on the eastern side who would be capable of serving the interests of France in terms of coordinating with the French on counterterrorism issues. And again, that doesn't necessarily need to be Haftar. Now, you've talked about Turkey, and this is a very interesting competition that is going on, isn't it, between Turkey and, and France, both vying for significant influence in the MENA region. As, as you say, the U.S., withdraws. What is the level of competition between Turkey and France and how far might they go in a contestation for a dominant role? How far do you see this this going? I think it's really difficult to have this conversation without considering the importance of the UAE's role in this grander geopolitical struggle. The French and the Emiratis see many things in very, very similar ways. <clears throat> there is a lot of, share, there are many shared interests, there are many ideological views that overlap. And as France wants to reassert its power throughout the African continent, they see the UAE as the Sunni Muslim power that they want to work with in this whole entire process. And the French do not want to abandon the UAE. They don't want to leave Abu Dhabi high and dry or possibly isolated or humiliated in Libya. So I think any major changes in France's strategies in Libya, as well as other countries in Africa, would need to be done in coordination with Abu Dhabi. Now, Abu Dhabi's relationship with Turkey 
has deteriorated to an incredible degree in just the past one or two years. There are many analysts who describe the UAE in Turkey's standoff as being a cold war. There is also increasing talk about this becoming sort of a, you know, shots being fired directly and this becoming a cold war that goes hot. And this is setting up for a situation whereby France and Turkey's relationship, you know, despite these two countries being allies of each other within NATO, of their relationship moving into a direction of hostility. We're seeing this play out in a number of areas. Obviously, on the ground in Libya, it's very visible and it's very clear how the French-Turkish relationship is deteriorating, but also as there are these problems between Cyprus and Greece on one side and Turkey on the other vis-a-vis the gas-rich eastern Mediterranean. This is another area that's definitely becoming a hot spot in the Paris-Ankara geopolitical rivalry. There is talk about um, you know, Russia trying to come in to help the two sides mediate. Um, obviously, we don't know if or when that can happen, but it's a very, very tense situation. In my personal opinion, it's very difficult to imagine things cooling down anytime soon. Now, look, you've spoken about the Sahel and, and the jihadist groups and former uh, French colonies and and made a very interesting point uh, about France's engagement in Libya as being an attempt to thwart the jihadist uh, uprisings that are going on. But do you not think that there are really major dangers for France of getting sucked into something bigger, perhaps, than uh, Emmanuel Macron is prepared for? Yes, I would definitely say so. I think many of the problems that the United States has been dealing with in its so-called war on terrorism are problems that the French run risk, risk running into as well. We could say they've already been running into them and have been bogged down by these problems since 2013. And this brings us back to early 2013 when the French launched military operations in northern Mali against a number of heavily armed jihadist groups that usurped control of the northern two-thirds of that country back in 2012 in the aftermath of a chaotic situation that involved a coup in Mali. Uh, This has been a very difficult situation for France as well as its allies, partners and clients in West Africa that have been attempting to fight these jihadist groups. So these forces, as I said, took over northern Mali in 2012, and they have spread to other countries in the region, such as Burkina Faso. These groups are very mobile. These groups obviously understand the terrain throughout the Sahel much better than the French do, and it's very difficult for the French military to uh, defeat these groups. Rather than uh, killing off these groups, they seem to be mainly dislodging them. They win a battle in one place, but then these groups uh, move into other areas and resume their fight another day. And to ultimately 
rid the Sahel of these groups simply through military means, it just, at least in my opinion, that's just not possible. I think in order to really eliminate these groups permanently and to deprive them of the influence they have, it's important to address the root causes of problems in the Sahel that have afforded these ISIS and Al-Qaeda-linked militias with the opportunity to gain influence. These problems have to do with poverty, humanitarian crises, and just general despair and hopelessness that we see all across this very waterless part of Africa. Again, I think a criticism that we can make of France is that they are approaching the Sahel in ways that are excessively militaristic. Yes, and, and the problems you mentioned, of course, you could track them right back to the French colonial period, couldn't you? And, and, and the legacy and structure that the, that the French left behind them. Look, let me finally ask you uh, this question, which is that a skeptic might suggest that as uh, Monsieur Macron's popularity plummets in France and the coronavirus resurging there, his foray into the MENA region is intended as a distraction from domestic woes. Yeah, I, I understand why many people have that perspective. Uh, this is something we see often from uh, leaders of powerful countries is that when there are domestic problems at home, sort of flexing some muscle on the international stage is a way of whipping up some nationalism, changing conversations, shifting focus. And one could argue that Macron's assertive policies in the Middle East, as well as parts of Africa, are aimed at sort of deflecting away from issues at home. I think uh, it's very fair to make that argument. Well, we shall see how that strategy plays out, won't we? Jojo, thank you very much. Bill, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Giorgio Cafiero, founder and CEO of Gulf State Analytics. Their Twitter handle is at Gulf State Analyt. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to ArabDigest.org. If you're a student, we have a new rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.